MSW Media. Hey everyone, it's AG from Muller She Wrote and The Daily Beans. And Steve Pearson from the How We Win podcast. We're bringing together some of our besties for a live super pod to raise money for the How We Win Fund and elect Democrats in November. Featuring us, of course. The hilarious Frangela duo. Ben and Brett Mazelis from the Midas Touch podcast. And the one and only Kathy Griffin. Join us on Monday, August 22nd at Largo in Los Angeles. Go to HowWeWinLive.com and get your tickets now. That's HowWeWinLive.com. a glass, sit for a spill, it's time to have some fun, let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking, but this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Hey everybody, welcome to this, the 187th full episode of What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. I can't believe we've been doing this for 187 episodes, full episodes. We've also, uh, Three Minute Bartender, little bonus episodes, we've done a bunch of those, probably 25 of them, and I and I get it, people have hit me up, written me, and said, when are you going to start doing more of those? I promise more Three Minute Bartenders are coming soon. But 187 episodes, full episodes, something to be, uh, I'm proud of it, I really am. And on this episode, we got a lot coming up, but um, I want to tell you about a little something, something I, I, over the weekend, I had some friends over, we play a lot of darts. I have a dart board here at my house and we play a lot. And during COVID, I mean, I was playing darts five nights a week. I'm very, very good at darts now. So I had some friends over and we, we gamble when we play darts. We gamble money, but we often also add an inducement to not lose, I guess you could say, uh, in the form of something, I have a lot of booze here. I'm fortunate they send me a lot of stuff. Most of it's good. Some of it's not great. And some of it's just, you know, bad. Bad is the word I'm going to say. So occasionally when I get that bad stuff, we use that as a punishment for losing in darts. You don't hear me talk about that stuff on the air very often because I don't like to shit on products. I'd rather tell you about stuff that you should be drinking as opposed to stuff that you shouldn't be drinking. But In this particular case, I'm going to tell you about a product that we used uh, as a punishment for dart, losing in darts. The brewery is called Destel Brewing, okay? And it's a very good brewery located in normal Illinois. I have had their beers in the past. They do a really good job with IPA. They've got a West Coast style IPA that I really enjoyed. A hoppy, hazy IPA that I've really enjoyed. Good place. Destel. D-E-S-T-I-H-E. L. I would recommend it. It's so good! Once it hits your lips, it's so good! <laughs> what I would not recommend, though, is a new specialty beer that they created that came out about two months ago. They collaborated with a, a an organization called Sucker Punch Gourmet, and Sucker Punch Gourmet makes pickles. Gourmet pickles, and they are delicious. Who doesn't love a good gourmet pickle? I do! I love it, and I love beer. I just don't like them together. 
at least not with this beer that they sent me. Uh, it was called, uh, it's called Sucker Punch Dill Pickle Sour Beer. And it is a combination of Go Sale with the uh, zesty, garlicky flavor of a Sucker Punch Dill Pickle. And it's very pickly. It is the pickliest beer I've ever tippled. And so, not a fan. And I let my friends uh, who were over here, Sonu and Jason, try the beer, and they shared my my dislike of it. We 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 all agreed this was not a beer that we would drink, and certainly not a beer that you would want a shotgun. And by shotgun, I mean cut a hole in the bottom and pop that can, and you got to chug the whole damn thing in one gulp. So once we agreed that that would be terrible, then we quickly agreed that that should be punishment for losing in darts. Now, I'm going to say this right now, and Sonu and Jason might not agree with me, but I'm the better dart player. Between the three of us, I am the, I'm the better, I'm the best of the three. So I didn't think for a second that I was going to lose and have to shotgun a can of sucker punch dill pickle sour beer. I didn't, never crossed my mind that I was going to lose. I was like, oh, I can't wait to film Jason or Sonu having to chug this because we thought there could be vomit involved. We really did. And, you know, say what you will about vomit, but when it happens on camera, that can be viral magic. And it did happen on camera. Not vomit, but someone pounding, shotgunning that can. It just turned out that someone was me. I lost. I had to pound sucker punch dill pickle sour beer. And if you want to see how that went down, literally... Go to at the imbiber. That's my Instagram, and check out my latest reel. It's me doing it, and I did it. I don't want to tell you how it ends. Did I hurl? Did I not hurl? I don't know. Go check it out. Leave a comment, and I'll uh, maybe I'll address that comment in next week's show, which will be featuring Glenn Howerton of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So yeah, go check it out at the imbiber. And again, Destel Brewing is a fine organization to make fine beer, but please, no more of this pickle shit. And Sucker Punch Gourmet, I'd love to try some of your pickles separately. Just saying, you want to send me some. All right. I mentioned earlier that we've been doing this for a while. Way back two years ago, almost exactly two years ago, we ran a two-part series, the 20 best classic cocktails ever. And I thought I'd revisit that to some degree, because it is hot, folks. You know, it's hot everywhere. It's hot in America. It's hot in South America. It's hot in Canada, Europe. It's hot all over, except for Australia and New Zealand and all that. It's winter over there. But you know what I'm saying. So I decided, I put together the, a list of the top five most refreshing cocktails. We need refreshing cocktails right now to beat the heat. And so I, I decided to revisit that old list and bring in some of the incredible bar stars who took part in that exercise with me two years ago. And to revisit those drinks, I took five from that list and made a new list of the five most refreshing cocktails ever. Now let's get to it, huh? We'll start off with number five, featuring a dear old friend of mine who owns an incredible gin brand drink on our list is one that was invented here where i live in los angeles california at least that's how lore has it i mean uh you know pretty much any any classic cocktail out there is going to have at least three or four origin stories but i 
I'm pretty sure the origin story on this one is not in dispute about where it happened. The drink is called the Moscow Mule. And here to talk about the Moscow Mule is uh, my old friend, one of the mixological world's uh, true, true heroes. I guess you know, I don't bandy that word about often. Mr. Simon Ford of Forge Gin. How are you, man? I'm good. And I love that the first thing I'm going to do now that I'm on your show is dispute the origin story of the Moscow Mule. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Well, first, let me let me throw out my version that I know. The version that it. I know was a, a bar called the Cock and Bull on Sunset Boulevard. Uh, there was a guy there uh, who he represented Smirnoff Vodka. And this is right after World War II, where Russian vodka was about as popular as, uh, you know, Japanese kamikaze. It was not a popular thing. And then uh, he was in this bar, the Cock and Bull, and the guy in the Cock and Bull had some a bunch of a surplus of ginger beer that he couldn't get rid of. And he also happened to have bought a bunch of copper mugs uh, that he had. And they put their heads together and they thought maybe we throw some lime juice in there and we'll play around. And next thing you know, a libational legend was born. Now you're going to dispute this. Okay. But it's but but we're we're close. We're talking we're talking the same language, Dan. So we're 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 in a good place. So the the, the cock and bull did exist. It was a guy called Jack Morgan um, that had this ginger beer, the cock and bull ginger beer, and he had this surplus of these copper mugs there, and he didn't know what to do with it. Now the cock and bull is dear to my heart, even though it's not there anymore. But it was this mock British tavern that was having a lot of fun in Hollywood, and it was like by the Garden of Allah and Ciro's and all of the and the Trocadero and that whole part of um, Sunset Boulevard that where all of the partying was happening in that period. And he's the guy that sets up and has this you know pub and he was a complete Anglophile. And so he put like old English newspapers on the wall and the two key drinks that he served there um, was the gin and tonic. And he made a huge thing of the gin and tonic and the other was the Moscow Mule, which he pre-bottled both of those drinks would pre-bottle both eventually. Now, if we rewind to the moment and the, the alleged meeting of the of the of Jack Morgan, uh, John Martin, who was uh, part of Hublin, who was a big distributor at the time, and Rudolf Kunet, who had, was the owner of Smirnoff, it is true that these three guys got together and created this drink to get rid of this surplus. Uh, and it's true that they create would find its life and its home. It, this place in California, the Cock and Bull, but where that meeting took place was actually in the area of New York, known as Little Moscow, in a hotel called New York's Chatham Hotel. And that's where they met. That's where they concocted the idea. That's where they put it together. And that's where they set their plan in place. Oh, so, my God. I didn't know. Look, all this time, I thought it happened out here at the Cock and Bull. Well, the Cock and Bull is the place that made it famous. Made and this it is famous. just where the meeting happened. And so the only thing I'm disputing is where that meeting took place. Okay. The meeting took place there. All right. The well, reason this, is, I, this is why I have you on, man. You're the expert. <laughs> the reason I love the story of the, the Moscow Mule and the reason I'm glad that you've invited me to talk about it, though, is, you know, like my second favorite pastime or my, it was being a brand ambassador, right? And I, some people call it a job, but I definitely would have called it a pastime. I did it for many, many years. And... Um, I would say that the, 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 the in that meeting, they also came up with one of the first great moments of being a brand ambassador because in order to really, truly get everybody to start serving this drink, they had one of the first Polaroid cameras. And so what they would do is they anyone that would buy some of these copper mugs, some of this Smirnoff that was, again, just starting to break out onto the scene at the moment before it would sort of become the biggest brand in the world, 
um, and, uh, and this ginger beer, they would go around. If you ordered it, they'll take a picture of you with this Polaroid camera. And that was kind of a really cool so thing. So kind of the, the first sort of social media right there, right? It was, right? This is the Instagram of the day. It's the Insta photo of the moment. You yeah, that's know? amazing. Um, Vodka was not a huge category in the United States, and it certainly is now. And that's why I put the Moscow Mule that high, because that drink really helped revitalize, really bring vodka to the masses, especially here in the United States. And vodka, I think, is the most off-quaffed spirit in the United States. Uh, if I, I, I don't think I'm wrong on that, but um, and now you've it, it spawned, you know, now you've got Tito's and all these other huge brands that are out there, Grey Goose and all the absolute. I don't think any of that happens if those guys hadn't got together in New York and no, created the Moscow Mule. If you want to make yourself a Moscow Mule, you're going to need a Moscow Mule mug, a bar spoon, a stirring rod. You get two ounces of vodka, half ounce of lime juice, five ounces of ginger beer. Squeeze the lime into a glass, drop it in, add the ice and vodka, top with the ginger beer, and serve with the stirring rod. It is a simple drink. Don't get fancy, okay? That'll cool you off. As will the next drink on our list, which is explained to us by one of America's great bartenders. He's based right here in Los Angeles, where I live. And let's get to drink number four on our list of the most refreshing cocktails ever. She is one of the finest people to make drinks in all of Los Angeles, in all of the country, I'd say. And you can follow her on her Instagram at bad birdie. Welcome to the show, bad birdie or birdie. We can just do birdie. How are you? Yes. Good. How are you, Dan? Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for doing this. And, uh, what did you, what did we, <laughs> it's the Mai Tai, the Mai, Mai Tai. tai. Yeah, Mai yeah. Tai. There are competing origin stories to this drink mainly comes down to two people that, uh, claim to have invented it. One is a guy yeah. named the name of Victor Bergeron, better known as Trader Vic. And then the other guy is Don, uh, Don, the beachcomber, uh, yep. says that he invented the drink regardless of who in invented it. It is a fantastic drink. Don't you think? Yes. Yes. And I think that's, uh, probably the common story with a lot of these, uh, classic cocktails, some of the most influential, um, you know, cocktails of history. There's a lot of uh, discrepancies of, you know, who made it first and who, who claims it, you know? So the Mai Tai, you know, kind of began with the, the tiki movement. And um, over the years, it became highly misinterpreted as far as like the recipe goes and the ingredients go. But the drink was so popular back in the 1940s and 50s that um, they were even low on uh, rum supplies. Rum supplies started to deplete because this cocktail was so popular. Because people were going so crazy for it. Yes, yes, they loved it. But um, I think, uh, you know, the guy who claims the throne, who has a stronger claim to the throne is, is Trader Vic. Um, you have claims from Don the Beachcomber. He said, Don Beachcomber pretty much says that uh, Trader Vic copied a recipe that he had. And the recipe he was talking about with this, was this drink that he made called the QB Cooler. Which he said he invented back in the in the early 30s, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah but the, the recipes are very different. Different. The QB Cooler has about double the ingredients that the Mai Tai does. So I think uh, if I had to pick a winner here, I'm definitely going to say Trader Vic. The reason I have it on this list is because it is truly one of the great, if you want to say, exotic cocktails. And, it, and it ushered in so much more. So many other great uh, tiki drinks came in after this. But the Mai Tai is really kind of the one, I think, that you could put up on the pedestal, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, 
you know, it kind of highlights, it's the first cocktail that really highlights Jamaican rum. And Jamaican rum, you know, has this tendency to have these like really funky notes to it. Um, so the Mai Tai really highlights that rum perfectly. And it wasn't until like, I want to say like the 1950s when the, when the Mai Tai came to Hawaii. And that's when you start to see these different recipes with pineapple juice and orange juice. And they did this to make the recipe sweeter for tourists that were tur- that Well, they were doing it on, I think they were doing it on like a, like Royal Caribbean or something. Like they yeah. were doing it on boats, yeah. right? It, and, yeah, yeah. And, and that was, uh, was Bergeron got hired, uh, Tra- Trader Vic got hired to do that, right? On these, mm-hmm. on these shipping lines. And then that, um, and then I think you, uh, I remember it from, um, the Blue Hawaii, the Elvis Presley movie. Yeah, you know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I also did some research that I guess Richard Nixon was a big yeah, Mai that was, Tai that was fan. Favorite drink. <laughs> Crazy. All right. Well, we can get past that. But then the, uh, you know, so it's a drink. Now, how would if if we were coming in, Amanda, if we were going to come in and I order a Mai Tai, how are you making my Mai Tai? Okay, so I, I, the way I make it, I'm definitely going to use Jamaican rum, some lime juice, Cointreau, and Orgeat. Some uh, Trader Vic's recipe calls for a little bit of simple syrup, but I really don't think you need it. Um, so I tend to leave it out when I'm making it either for myself or for my guests. The dictionary defines fresh as recently made or obtained, not canned, frozen, or otherwise preserved. That same dictionary defines victor as one that defeats an enemy or opponent. This is fitting because when you combine the words fresh and victor, you get a line of all-natural, clean-label cocktail mixers that kicks all the other mixers' asses. Fresh Victor is like the Liam Neeson of mixers. I will look for you. I will find you. And I will kill you. Well, if great taste could kill, then damn right, Liam Neeson. Fresh Victor features eight unique blends with contemporary flavors designed to suit any palate. All of the ingredients are fair trade sourced. There's no artificial anything. The mixers are produced at a 100% solar-powered juicing plant with absolutely no waste. Right now, Fresh Victor is offering a deal to my listeners that should be taken immediately. Simply go to FreshVictor.com, fill up your shopping cart, and at checkout, enter promo code WWD20 to get 20% off your order. Now's the time to treat yourself to the very best mixers on the market, and that's Fresh Victor. Anything you'd like to add, Liam Neeson? I told you I would find you. Okay, so you probably heard me mention another rum brand earlier in the show. And honestly, I like that rum. But with all due respect, it isn't my go-to. <laughs> For it to be my go-to, like doesn't cut it. I gotta love the stuff. And I absolutely do love me some Batiste rum. Batiste is the first sustainable American craft rum. Use an eco-positive, solar-powered manufacturing process from beginning to end. They make it from 100% pure, fresh cane juice. They're not using molasses. They're not using sugar crystals. If you like your tequila 100% agave, then you'll love your rum 100% cane juice. And most importantly, it's a hella fine rum to be enjoyed neat or in cocktails. So I got a deal for you. No better yet, the fine folks at Batiste do. I'm just the conduit here. Go to BatisteRum.com. That's B-A-T-I-S-T-E-R-H-U-M.com. Fill up your cart and enter code DUNN, D-U-N-N, at checkout to get 20% off everything you've ordered. 
That's moolah, greenbacks, cold, hard cash. We can all use a little more of that these days, right? Folks, Batiste Rum is my go-to. Make it yours. It's proof that great taste with true sustainability is not a goal for tomorrow, but a reality today. You all ready for number three on our list of the most refreshing cocktails? Of course you are. It's hot. Pour yourself one of these. And to tell us all about it is the proprietor of Elixir in San Francisco. He's also one of the partners in Fresh Victor and sponsor on this show and the best damn cocktail mixers there are. His name's H. Joseph Ehrman. H, good to see you. Good to speak to you again. Absolutely. It's one of the most important cocktails in that it's, uh, again, simple. As I mentioned before, great cocktails should be and can be simple. And also, it's the, it's the cocktail that most cocktail aficionados will judge a bartender by. They want to say, Does this, this, let's see how this bartender is. Make me a daiquiri. Now, how do you make yours? I like it with, uh, I think an important aspect of the daiquiri is you, you've got to taste the rum. You've got to have enough rum. And that's where a lot of people go wrong, first of all. And other than that, it's just simply lime and sugar. So I, uh, if I'm making one by hand, I would use an ounce, an ounce of uh, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup, a little bit more bitter than sweet and two ounces of rum. And, uh, but at home, I use my fresh Victor Mexican lime and agave mix and do equal parts, two parts, Mexican lime and agave, two parts, rum, shake it up, done. Now, a, a, a very famous figure in history who popularized this drink is Ernest Hemingway. Tell us a little bit about the Hemingway daiquiri. Hemingway didn't like sugar. So he preferred a little grapefruit juice in there. And to get a hint of, of sweet, they added a little maraschino liqueur. And so with the, with the, uh, the Hemingway, you get that grapefruit and that, you know, the maraschino liqueur is made with, uh, it's got a kind of a nuttiness to it. And, uh, and it's a, it's a great liqueur. So it has a really unique twist on, uh, on that. I think in San Francisco, the daiquiri is pretty goddamn popular, right? It is pretty popular. Yeah, absolutely. But they're, 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 I would say the Tommy's Margarita is, yeah, is is, could be even more popular. Well, we'll see. You never know. Maybe a margarita will end up on this list. It hasn't yet, but it could. Could happen. Teaser. <laughs> I, uh, I don't even know what else there is to say about the daiquiri. I mean, yeah, it's, just such a, it's just such a great drink, and it's such a great drink to have now in the summer it's fairly easy to make, and now that H has Fresh Victor, he's even made it easier for you. Look at that plug, right? Look at that. Yeah, there you go. H, I always love talking to you, my friend, and it was great having you on involved in this, both episodes. I appreciate your time and your knowledge, expertise, and uh, go check out Elixir. I highly recommend it. It is one of the great bars in America, and it's right there in San Francisco, and tell H that I sent you, and you'll get, you'll get nothing from that. They won't even nothing. There's no benefit, really. No, not any. Might get thrown out. You might get kicked out. Friend of Dan Dunn's. See you later, uh, H. Thanks for joining, man. Thanks, man. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. You too. Just a reminder to follow me at social media at the Imbiber. Also at WWD underscore podcast. I'm on Twitter at the Imbiber. And that next week on the show, we're going to have Glenn Howerton, Dennis. From It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Haven't talked to him in a while. I'm looking forward to that. Okay, number two on our list of the most refreshing cocktails ever could be considered a controversial choice. 
And you know what? I'm cool with that. I, I am not afraid to stir up some shit, and neither is Bad Birdie, one of the best damn bartenders in Los Angeles, in America. And here she is with the number two drink. This one's an ass kicker. The, uh, this drink, again, familiar theme. A couple of people claim to have invented it. This one we can narrow it down to two places that plausibly claim to have invented it. One is Long Island, and the other a place called Kingsport, Tennessee. And I think this is going to surprise some people how this made it into, into the top five on this list, but you know what? I don't give a shit. You can be surprised all you want. It's my list. God damn it. The drink is the Long Island Iced tea. That's right. The potent combination of vodka, rum, tequila, and gin. Okay? This is the one drink that introduced legions of people to all kinds of spirits all at once because they were all in the same drink. And here to talk about the Long Island Iced Tea, Bad Birdie herself. Welcome back, Amanda. Thank how you, are Jen. you? Thank you. Long Island Iced Tea. Come yeah, on. Yeah, I love... So... This is uh, one of those cocktails that um, I love to admit that I actually love this cocktail when done properly with fresh ingredients. Um, This is also one of my wife's favorite cocktails as as well. I actually have uh, a little cheater bottle with all the spirits in it right now sitting right here at home. Well, let's get let's go there right now. Let's tell everybody what's in a Long Island iced tea. I, I gave the broad strokes, but let's go specifically. We have vodka, gin, rum. Tequila and Cointreau and um, a little bit of Coke, a little bit of lemon juice and simple syrup. And actually, I add a little bit of Angostura bitters to mine. Now, the history of this drink, the guy, a guy named Rosebud Butt yes. claims to have invented this drink in Long Island. He entered a contest in the early 70s mm-hmm. to create a mixed drink. And it was a contest sponsored by Triple Sec. And he claims and he he very strongly claims claim. invented that drink. But then there's also a place in Tennessee, as I mentioned, that had a drink. Uh, there's a community down there called Long Island in Kingsport, yes. Tennessee. And they said it was invented by a guy named Ransom Bishop. Old man Bishop. Old man Bishop. So yeah. what do you so, think? So so I know the story starts in the 1920s with old man Bishop in his community, Long Island in Tennessee. And um, it, the drink, he called it Old Man Bishop. And it contained whiskey, gin, tequila, vodka, rum, and a little bit of maple syrup. So this was his version. He didn't call it a Long Island. He had it called something else. But we definitely start to see, you know, the influence a little bit. Um, but if you fast forward into the 1960s, there is actually a Long Island iced tea recipe in Betty Crocker's book, in one of her books. Now, now we fast forward a little bit even further to the 1972, and that's when we have the claim from Robert Butt. He entered the competition, like he said, for triple sec, and he has, you know, said to come up with this cocktail, and he named it the Long Island Iced Tea. Now he, now Robert Butt says that the old man Bishop story is completely false, and he didn't even mention the Betty Crocker's book, so um, he does have a strong claim to that cocktail. But I, I wanted to show you this that I have. This is a this is a book called Just Cocktails. Okay. Um, written in the 1930s. It's an old book that my wife found for me. And I tried to look for 
old, the old man bishop in here, but um, I didn't, I haven't seen anything in here. And, you know, this book has a lot of like recorded old recipes, like where they were measuring stuff with like ponies and, you know, jiggers. And so no, no record of it in there. No record, not, not even anything similar um, was in here. So regardless of who invented it, I guess this is the question I I have for you. And it's like on its face, this drink shouldn't work. Right. Because there's, it, there seems to be some disparate things in there, you know, like tequila. You don't think tequila yeah. and rum and, and, and how does it work? How does the Long Island iced tea work? And it tastes good. It does. It actually does taste good. I'm, I think it's just because it's a little bit of everything. You know, we're just talking about half an ounce of all these different ingredients. And when you start to use really premium um, ingredients, maybe you could use a darker rum or a Jamaican rum, you know, a reposado tequila, like it does play a, you know, a little bit of a difference and you can taste a difference in this cocktail. I think the most important thing is if you're using fresh lemon juice um, and simple syrup, it's going to taste good. It, you know, it does taste like, like a bit of a lemonade, like an Arnold Palmer, you know? And, and again, this is one of those ones. And if anybody, you know, people out there that might be asking, how is this so high on the list? It was an insanely popular cocktail Mm -hmm. prior to the, you know, the craft cocktail resurgence. This was yeah. a drink that I, I grew up on the East Coast and everybody was drinking this. And then it spawned a lot of other, you know, there were a lot of variations that came about after like I, the, the Adios Motherfucker is a version yeah. of it with Blue Curacao instead of Triple Sec. There's a drink called the uh, the, the Grateful Dead. Yeah. Um, that, uh, the, uh, the LA Water. Yeah. And there's so many, yeah. it spawned so many copies and 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 variations but again it's one of these things that i think just made people and the other thing i think it did was boy did it teach uh legions of bartenders how to move quickly right because when you order a long island iced tea you're usually going to get that second where the bartender's like motherfucker right you know (laughs) god damn it because there's a lot of it's a it's an labor intensive drink right yeah. yeah, And and then we started to see, you know, kind of started to fall off a little bit, too, because we started to see bartenders just build it in the glass instead of, you know, properly shaking it up um, uh, to kind of aerate all these ingredients. And, you know, uh, instead of having this super boozy cocktail, you know, in a highball glass where all the booze is at the bottom and it's just topped with Coke, you know. So uh, I think it makes a difference when you make it properly, you shake it up and um, and, and serve it. And by the way, it's worth pointing out, Amanda just said top with Coke, there, there isn't any tea in a Long Island iced tea. And, right, and right. a lot of people do think it's, it's, it looks like iced tea, but there is no tea in a Long Island iced tea. Uh, mm-hmm. we could, you could follow Amanda at Bad Birdie on Instagram. It really is one of the, the best uh, Instagram accounts that I know of in the bar community. You, you do amazing yeah. work, and I'm, I'm so happy that you came on here. Bad Thank Birdie, you, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, the moment has arrived. And I don't know about you out there, but I am filled with excitement. We have reached the top of the list, and it's been quite a journey. We laughed. We cried. We got drunk. We had hangovers. We got drunk again, had another hangover, and now we have finally arrived at number one. The number one most important drink 
cocktail ever is... The Margarita. Jesus. Folks, stop. Stop. Okay. Woof, man, they went crazy there. And uh, I don't think anybody else could speak to this drink better or more eloquently than our my guest here. Uh, she is the proprietor of Lienda in Brooklyn, New York, and she is the author of Spirits of Latin America, Celebration of Culture and Cocktails with 100 Recipes from Lienda and Beyond. It is available Anywhere you buy books and you need to get it. She's been with us before on a previous episode. It's Ivy Mix. Hi. Hello. Yay, Margarita. Victor. Yay, Margarita. Margaritas are for sure the most popular drink in America. I'm not sure if it's the world, but more margaritas are consumed than like any other type of cocktail, um, which is great. The unfortunate thing about it is most people make margaritas really badly. It's still sour mix and crappy tequila, and it's just gross. Um, but made correctly, I think a margarita can be the most delicious drink on the planet. Crushable, delicious, insanely good. Um, the other cool thing about it is it's got such a weird history. No one really knows where it came from. I mean, there are stories, there are thoughts. Some thoughts are that it came from Tijuana, Um other thoughts are that came from Southern California, close to Tijuana, obviously. Um, other people say it's from Texas. Um, yeah, there was like a Dallas socialite, right? That was Margaret something. Exactly. It, it, you know, we know this, Ivy. There, there are so many origin stories, but certainly in my research as well, the margarita is one that's got at least five plausible origin yeah. stories. Yeah. And nobody's really been able to, even like David Wondrich and some of the, the great spirits historians no one's really been able to settle on what the absolute true origin story is and that's great that's that's beautiful well, i think that's one of the matter because it's fucking delicious you mentioned how people mess it up you're making a margarita what are we doing all right so a margarita is a daisy and a daisy is a daisy because it has triple second right so like a kamikaze is a daisy a sidecar is a daisy just having triple sec qualifies it as a daisy Yes, more or less. I mean, you, you, that can okay. also be interpreted as you have to have some sort of liqueur in there. But a daisy means you're getting your sweetness not from sugar, but from a liqueur, right? Gotcha. And margarita means daisy. So I think, and I'm going to piss off a bunch of people out there, I don't think that Tommy's margaritas are margaritas. Oh, boy. Yeah. So, so when she says Tommy's, that's a very famous watering hole in San Francisco. If you were to ask most people in the bar industry where there's the best margarita, they'd say Tommy's. Right. Okay. So I think they make delicious Tommy's margaritas or just Tommy's or whatever. Call it Tommy's margarita. Fine. But it's not a classic margarita. And I go to for sure and go see Julio and drink pictures of Tommy's margaritas there. I like them. I just don't think it's a real margarita. I think it's an interpretation of a margarita. I think that in order to make a margarita perfect, um, you need a triple sec of some sort, and I'll get into this more later, a 100% blue agave tequila. I think it should be Blanco at Tommy's January they use Reposado. And fresh lime juice, right? Traditionally, if you look up like online, the traditional spec for a margarita, it's a doozy of a drink. It's three ounces of 80 proof booze, which I want to drink margaritas all day long. So for me, that's too much. 
I will also say that Quantro is the only triple sec to be used. It's dry. It has proof. It's anti proof. It's it is really orange tasting, which is like the, the, to me like that's the inherent part of the margarita. Like you're not just drinking a sour; you have this orange oranginess to it. So, I like to do mine by taking down the proof a little bit. So I do one and a half ounces of 100% blue agave tequila. Um, I really like using uh, Lowland Valley tequilas um, for my margaritas. So I like using like Siembra Vice or Fortaleza or Arete, something like this. Um, for Highlands, I like doing like Ocho or Siete Leguas. And one and a half ounces tequila, three quarters of an ounce of Cointreau, three quarters of an ounce of fresh lime juice, and just a quarter ounce of one-to-one simple syrup. And I shift okay. it up real hard, and I strain it over fresh ice, and then you only have, uh, simple math, two and a quarter ounces of this booze rather than three and you can really like you know that if you're gonna have a few margaritas that that 80 proof booze really like stacks up so i like to kind of stretch it out a little bit there it's just the most delectable drink if me correctly it's a real uh litmus test of bartending i feel like a margarita yeah because if you're just off a little bit it throws the whole drink out of off kilter totally absolutely off kilter and and then it then it sucks or like like right now we have a frozen margarita on Atlanta, which is something that I have like my qualms with. Like I had to like wrestle with my internal self being like, Oh God, we're doing a frozen margarita. People fucking love it though. But we put agave nectar in it for our sweetener and Cointreau, but we did both because we needed the extra sweetness in the frozen drink. But people really mess up margaritas. They don't mess them up at Leanda. I'll tell you that much. And uh, if you can get there, you can get there safely. Go. Tell Ivy that I sent you, and that'll get you absolutely nothing. But, you know, she'll make you a great drink. Well, listen, Ivy Mix, I couldn't think of a better person to bring this list home. Uh, and and I really do. Everybody out there, get Spirits of Latin America. Pick it up. It's on Amazon. It's a good-looking – look at that. Look, that's a good-looking book right there. See that thing? And um, and then go have a margarita with, with Ivy at Leanda in Brooklyn. Yes. And uh, – Thank you for being part of this journey with it. You did some heavy, you did some heavy lifting for us, and I appreciate you doing. I'm gonna it. drink all four of my drinks. I, I really do. I, as I'm talking to you right now, I can't wait to have a margarita, <laughs> and I'm gonna do it exactly the way you said. Do it. I'll still screw. I'll still screw it up, but I'm gonna do those proportions. I think, but I, I know I'll do something wrong. I'm not great at it, but uh, but thank you for sharing your knowledge on that drink and all the other drinks you did with us. And now. How about a word from one of our dream sponsors, Regal Beer, circa 1950s. The smaller the bubble, the better the beer. The smaller the bubble, the better the beer. That's the flavor secret of Regal Cheer. Pour a glass of Regal. Because of a special bubble filter process, Regal Beer has smaller bubbles. See? The Regal Bubble is definitely smaller. Small bubbles last longer, lock in more flavor. Hold Regal up to the light. Twist the glass and watch those feathery plumes of small bubbles. Now taste Regal. Mmm, brisk, bright, mellow to the last refreshing sip. Remember, the smaller of the bubbles, the better of the beer. That's the flavor secret of Regal cheer. The smaller of the bubbles, the better of the beer. For that Regal beer, yes, Regal beer. Today. That's going to do it for our 
list of the top five most refreshing cocktails ever. It's going to do it for this episode. I encourage you to stay cool out there, literally and figuratively. And of course, I thank you for joining us on the show. I also want to thank Bad Birdie, H. Joseph Airman, Ivy Mix, and Simon Ford being part of this. They don't even, I don't think they know they're part of it. Rehashing some of the old material, but I'll let them know. As mentioned earlier, next week we've got Glenn Howerton. It's always sunny in Philadelphia coming up. <clears throat> Where's my voice going? Maybe that's a sign to go. All right, guys. Check you next week. 